Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Technology run amok renders our episode today a bit shorter than usual as Graham McMillan and I spend a lively hour and 20 minutes talking Tom King, Alan Moore and the press interviews regarding his new novel Jerusalem, Moon Knight, The Unbeatable Score Girl, The Fix, a Batman story from 1963, and much, much, but sadly, not that much, more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan. Listeners, this is what you need to know. Jeff and I have just been talking for an hour and then we find out that we aren't recording. Jeff feels terrible. I feel awful. Really, really bad. But here's the thing. I don't. So I know the, you're really okay with it. Why is I, that? Because it's it's fine. You were regretting the improv that we did at the beginning of oh, the episode. Oh no, I am really kind of sad that we've lost the. Improv. I am too. That was actually really kind of funny, and not it's not the sort of thing that we do at all. So, no, listeners, know, yeah, you was, missed like it was a really tight focused hour. It's, it kills. Also, me. you missed well a tight focused hour. But before that, you missed twenty minutes of us riffing on the fact that we're recording on Batman Day. Yes. And we we did an extended riff about whether Jeff or I had killed any parents of children to celebrate <laughs> Batman Day, and Jeff told me that he had twenty years ago. Oh. Uh, and it, there was like a Watchman joke in there. Yeah, and then we talked about the problems with it because these days too many people know kickboxing. It's it and it's, Pilates. Yeah, and Pilates. Yeah. Um, and we then we did like a CrossFit thing, which led into Batman versus Superman. Right. Yeah, so. What That's it. We could, let's I, see how I, much of this we can reconstruct. <laughs> where did we go after that? Do you uh, remember? I honestly don't remember where we went after Cause that. It wasn't oh, long after no, that. Because we went straight into comics after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I ended up asking you about Injection. Oh, right. Right. We had, a, we had a surprisingly long and I think for me anyway, measured conversation about Ellis in his later days. And you're, you praised Injection, which you quite liked and, and – described it and i talked about what i would like to see from him as a writer and uh we talked about how you know um your description of injection to me reminded me of like john broom dc comics and And why you you wish that it was secretly uh challengers of the unknown reboot yeah almost yeah and then you went with um is that where you went into your review of 2000 ad issue yes yes because we were talking about uh, creators and things that we were to see, and I said to that I've read Proc 2000 of 2000 AD, yeah, uh, and that it's great. It's just downright wonderful. Uh, it has. I'll do this super quickly for Please. people. No, no, no um, we're going to try and redo has, this in super um, quick time. Art by Brian Boland, sequentials by Brian Boland. Yes, that's uh, even more sequentials impressive. by Mick McMahon, sequentials by Dave Gibbons. Mm-hmm. It's got a brand new. Pat Mills, Kevin O'Neill, Nemesis story. Oh. Wait, that is the thing that's going to get you, isn't it? It that, is. That, Every that's time that's you say that, it's like, you. oh, my God. Um, and it's also got a wonderful Wagner Iscara Judge Dredd right. that is t- t- pitch perfect anniversary issue stuff. And that uh, we were talking about 2080 being a, just a very strong anthology overall for the past few years. Uh, but I said that this was... In the weirdest way, like the greatest jumping on point mm-hmm. for 2080. 
Mm-hmm. Because it basically explains the concept of 2000 AD in celebrating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's super fun. We then talked about, uh, we talked about Suicide Squad because I think Rob Williams took us there. Uh, uh, and, and our love for the second issue, which we both agreed was better than the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got, basically because it's a 2080 comic that is being published by DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we particularly like the backup story in it, which is, uh, Williams and Ivan Rice doing a Captain Boomerang story. Yeah. Uh, what else did we talk about? We talked about your love for Superwoman, the Phil Jimenez series. That's right. Uh, my admiration for Supergirl. That's right. Supergirl, which you compared to Batgirl, which which we, you don't like, and I, I like exactly. Yeah. Um, and then that I, did that lead us into Detective Comics? I think that, that led did. us into Detective yeah. Comics. Detective Comics, yeah. which uh, I think is super strong. It's a very Chris Claremont comic. It I compared it to Claremont's New Mutants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said that maybe you were considering it, which led us into talking about Tom King's Batman, right? Oh, we also, in between, we also talked about uh, Scott Snyder's All-Star Batman issue 2, which you oh, were a big yeah. fan of. That's right. And I referred to as an actually intelligent, uh, guilt-free version of a Mark Miller comic, uh, which Graham actually figured out what I was going to say before I got to the end of that sentence, which was pretty impressive, I thought, for me, that, of him. I was very impressed, is what I meant to say. Uh, uh, and so, anyways, we ultimately ended up talking about Tom King. We talked about the fact that Batman is totally throwing both of us off yes that we think we're enjoying it uh i suggested that it reminded me of the vision but the vision is much more clear in the way in which it's trying to play against expectations uh but batman neither of us can work out what he's actually going for right and And it feels it feels at war with himself with itself with itself and i talked about how i thought that it was possible that snyder's other books like Sheriff of Babylon uh, and Omega Man and, and Vision um, were all kind of about that the Batman was continuing from this this idea that might be one of, of King's themes, which is that um, tragedy or uh, suffering um, doesn't the the great heroic suffering that builds a hero in his experience it actually tends to build monsters, I think. And that's where Graham pointed out that King had referred either in Twitter or at some other point online of the vision and Sheriff of Babylon and Omega men as a trilogy, which you said made sense to you. And I'm like, I can see Omega men and Sheriff of Babylon being very clear, but I didn't see the connection with vision. And you're like, to me, you, you said it was Vision and Sheriff of Babylon, and you actually, and I asked you why and how, and unfortunately... And that, that was when I, I explained, and Jeff realized that he wasn't recording, yeah. and I thought I'd made such a good point, because Jeff was like, oh, shit! Yes, so <laughs> go back and explain your point, because literally so, I didn't... I so so my point is, or yeah. my, my argument was, uh-huh. uh, Vision and Sheriff are both based on deconstructions of the idea of the good man doing the right thing. Because they're both have uh, in in sheriff it's Chris in vision it's vision mm-hmm. the quote unquote hero who is trying to do quote unquote the right thing mm-hmm. and and everyone is trying to do the right thing as they see it and every time they try and do that things get worse that that, that it is that it's not so much that there is no right thing it's just that because everyone's right thing is in conflict that doing the right thing just complicates matters and just makes things worse. Interesting. 
Interesting. I, that, I, I much preferred it when you said, oh, shit. No, 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 because I, I do, yeah, unfortunately, because I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. But part of me is like, I'm not sure if that's – I think because for me, The Vision is such a great book about – I don't want to just say like a midlife crisis, but it's such a good – he does such a great job – of creating again even right down to the title that idea of well let's i suppose if it's if there's that idea of trying to live up to an ideal i bet maybe that's what connects them in a way yeah you know to 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 change it a little bit because one of the things that is great about vision is is he really is like this ideal not necessarily of being a good man but of of having a good life Whereas I do feel that uh, the the main character Chris in in Sheriff of Babylon is kind of, you know, wants to be a good man, like you said, and the conflicts that come in there. Um, I think there is that I the 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 more you strive for the ideal, the more that reality, yeah, grind either grind threatens to grind you up. Or your adherence to that ideal will truly make you a monster. Um, but I, I love that vision is such a is such a I don't know it's a, it's such a it's such a strangely sub, it's a, I mean it's set in the suburbs sort of the way that that vision and Scarlet Witch is was mm-hmm. by Englehart and I love the way that I feel that 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 is also a very deliberate choice by King. Um, yeah, I. I... I, so we also said in the, in the hour we've lost that uh, I spent part of today catching up on Vision. Right. And Marvel Unlimited. Right. And so it's particularly fresh because basically I read like – I, I want to say I just read the first two issues and then I was like, I'll read it in collection. Mm-hmm. And then today I was like, I've got Marvel Unlimited. Right. Apparently issue five is out. I've also caught up with a lot of Marvel books in last, this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something about Vision where it's so deliberate that I find myself weirdly put off by it. Mm-hmm. I like, can see that. He's so clear with what he's doing. Yeah. That I'm like, you know, not that I can see where it's going per se, although he's definitely trying to give that impression. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, this is, you know, later when Viv, you know, when, when yes. Viv, Viv is really sad, she remembers this. She puts this back in her active memory. Uh, and there's a, there's, I want to say there's reference to, to the wife dying at some point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it seems it seems so deliberate and so purposeful mm-hmm. that I feel oddly frustrated at reading it in in even just in in you know five issue chunk as I did today. Mm-hmm. Like I want to get to the end because right. I want I feel that there is a surprise at the end, and I want to get I want I want to earn that surprise quicker. Yeah, I I get that because because it is that thing of. You know, we've we've talked before how King is such a uh, clear, clear um, Alan Moore disciple, you know, and, and very much in love with that level of formalism, I guess, that uh, the vision feels that has that same sort of feel that that Moore stuff can have the kind of um, very intelligent, but also not especially surprising kind of uh, framework to it. You know, yeah. that idea of like, oh, okay, great. Now I get to watch the puzzle meticulously be assembled and I get to see that it's a picture of a boat. Terrific. You know? So yeah. I, 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 I get that, you know, 
But um, okay, so let's spin off this for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have Jerusalem? I I do I do I I have started. I have not. I have not. Yeah, uh, which I think I mentioned to you in in email, and it's one of those things where it's like such a crazy ass week of work. Like I got it auto delivered to the Kindle and I'm like, I'm totally going to read this on my way home from work. And then work was just such a sledgehammer to the face that I, I was like, I'm going to play this stupid game on my iPhone and fuck the Kindle, fuck literacy, <laughs> all those <laughs> other things that have fucked me up and put me in this position, you know? So, um, so yeah, it, uh, I haven't, why, Graham? Are, please don't tell me that you read it because you no, are a fast no, reader. I, yeah, you know. no, no. I, it's like 1,300 pages or something like that. I'm not that fast a reader, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it's actually because, I mean, he's obviously doing all the press right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been on my mind. It, ah. it, you know, And I've seen various people talk about it. Uh, and also this week I was talking to Douglas Wolk, who has read it, right. who is the only person I know who's actually finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I said this in email to you that he was very um, ambivalent about the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he he described it as the the moriest thing Alan Moore has done, mm-hmm. but also couldn't necessarily say that he'd recommend it because of that. Are you sure that he would mean recommend that generally, or recommend it to you? Uh, generally, oh, okay. Um, and it's it's just. I, 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 it's, it's because it's out there and it's Alan Moore. I was, I was just curious because you're obviously like a much bigger Alan Moore fan than me. And it, it feels, but it feels enough like an event mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, maybe I should read this. And then I was like, but I don't actually really like his work. And right. it's, it's such an, uh, an involvement. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that would just be like weirdly masochistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I do get that. And I don't know. I, um, yeah, I could see where it would definitely not be a good choice for you, Graham, in that sense. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's other there's other things I I can and will read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I I, I was uh, the the interviews have been really interesting to me because, as you know, in the past I've been very uh, and I, I'm sure still will, been very cynical about Alan Moore's bashing of comics mm-hmm. and, and of the industry. Um, but I've, I've turned with this round of interviews. Oh yeah. Because I'm honestly just like, stop fucking asking about comics when he's promoting a book. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he's promoting a prose novel. Mm-hmm. I was actually much happier with that little bit of, I think it's in the that little bit in the New York times where I think they were asking him what he was reading. And he talked about his love of David Foster Wallace's infinite chest. Uh, which was kind of great. I was like, "Oh, there you go." He was very excited to talk about that, and I thought that was that was kind of yeah. Funny. It's, it's like it's, yeah. it's seeing so many interviews where they're like, on comics, of course. Yeah, and he has to basically be like, "I that's great. I'm not really." And they're like, "But what do you think about superheroes?" And I really was just like, "Dude, yeah. like I know you're there to get the. I know you want the the hit. You want him to be snarky, mm-hmm. and you want the hits. But he's fucking written the novel." There's An enormous to, fucking novel, to, too. Yeah, that's nothing to do with the, the medium or the genre. Yeah, and you're like you're just kind of bullying him now. Yeah, because you want him to say something controversial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I don't know. And wow. it, it's also, it also makes me sad that um, 
the majority of headlines I've seen about mm-hmm. coverage has been, he's leaving comics! And it's like, he said that like 72 fucking times by now. Yes. And also, that's not like, again, talk about his fucking book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm sure Alan Moore agrees. I'm very, I'm very pleased actually to hear all this, Graham, because, because uh, honestly, you had a couple of quotes on your Twitter. I was like, oh God, this talk about Alan Moore is not going to go well with us, but. <laughs> no, I, I, he's, he, I still think he says ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funny, my favorite line I've seen all week wasn't a review of the book where it complains about his verbosity by talking about, God, it was, it was something about mansplaining everything. It, or something, which I thought was such a great line, like just not even like, like against Alan Moore, but it was just such a wonderful line. I'm gonna have to look up Twitter so I can I can get it. Wow. Um, but you know, I'd, on the whole, mm-hmm. you know, you do you, Alan Moore, and hopefully people will fucking finally let you do you. Yeah, I, it is. It is funny. You know, it's, I'm trying to think what it was. There was some shit. I hope I can reconstruct this where it's like. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. I, I read Jonathan Franzen's Purity, like, I don't know, like six weeks ago, and it's kind of scarred me, and I keep wanting to, like, write a review of it, and I'm, I was, I was thinking about it in the shower the other day. I'm like, oh, right, yeah, cause it's this thing, right? There's very much this, sure. And, and sorry, all of which is to say, there's a, um, there's a, some, trap that is inherent in all levels of celebrity I think that ultimately uh, I, I I feel I, I really sometimes when I look at Alan Moore it's kind of he's he just seems like he's um, sort of playing up to expectations in a way like almost pandering to them and, oh, I, and I think he has done an interview for quite some time Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly. But I almost kind of feel like there's this weird, even somewhat sad realization that this is uh, like the only, the, your only choice, really, in a way. Like, I don't know, it's very strange. I'm trying to well, think no, what else this But was, But I, I, I think that in terms of Moore, I think that's completely true. Because, you, again, you look at how many people here just want him to badmouth CC. Right. They just want it, like... You've got this prose book out. You've been working on it for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the size of the fucking Bible. Right. But would you want to tell tell us why you think DC Shadow knew about Watchmen again? Right. It's just, like, it, it really is. We're not talking to you as a person or as an artist. We're talking to you as a performing monkey that we think can get can say something outrageous. Here's the line that I thought was so funny from the review. I was hard-pressed to find many nouns that did not arrive mansplained with an unnecessary adjective. <laughs> I just love that sentence. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is that is that is an ouchie. Uh that's really really funny. Yeah, I hmm, yeah, I don't know. You know, I it, it's funny because I just uh <sighs> I, I, it's, you know, one of the things I said to you when you asked me if I had picked it up and if I had started it and, and I mentioned, I, I had that moment where I was thinking about starting it and I was like, oh fuck, of course there's going to be a chapter in an, an invented language that I'm going to have to force myself through. Cause of course there is. I just know there is like, that's, there is no escape from that. And part of me is like, 
I realize, like, I don't have a problem with that in comic books, weirdly enough. Like, sometimes I find it kind of vaguely annoying, but it's never as bad as when it's in pure prose. Like, mm. for a long time, I think because I'm not an especially um, talented reader, I, I had a lot of trouble, like, reading stuff that's written in um, uh, phonetics. Like, you know, like... Uh, so you must love... Um... Irvin Welsh. Then. That's exactly where I was going to go with. I remember fucking reading Train Spotting and being like, "Ugh!" It's exactly. Like, can I can I throw this book across the room? Uh, like, no, I know people who speak in that in, in that dialect, mm-hmm. and I was still like, "This book is fucking unreadable." Yeah, it's it's so painful. But you know, uh, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which is a really honestly great, really one of the, the primo American novels. I've fully think so and yet still i was that first i don't know it takes me like 10 to 20 pages to get tuned into it and i'm just like it's you know it's 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 not a good quality i think but you know but more really really loves to push that and i think i made it through two chapters of voice of the fire or something like that that, that's one more than i did yeah it's the first one I plowed through, and then the second one, I don't, I don't. All I know is I flipped ahead at one point. I was like, "Oh fuck, no! I'm not doing this to myself." So the fact that I basically showed back up with a second serving for Jerusalem, being like, "I don't know. Oh, maybe it'll be different this time." I don't know. We'll 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 see where it goes. You know. I just out of curiosity, you're a guy who does interviews. What does interviews? If you were to interview Alan Moore. Uh, three questions. What would be three questions that you would ask him? Maybe, maybe not comic book related. Would, would you uh, know? To be honest, I, 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 I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the interview I really liked of him, like of his for this round, mm-hmm. uh, Vulture did a really good interview where they basically didn't, I mean, they ultimately did, but they pressed him on the, the sexual violence. Oh, thing. really? Huh. That was really interesting. Interesting. Uh, because they basically were like, has your view changed? Mm-hmm. Like, w- would you, would you continue to do it? And he went with the really cowardly, well, sexual violence is in the real world. So I think as an artist, it, I, you know, I owe it to myself to, to, to paint it. And they, they really pressed him on it. They were like, mm-hmm. no, but you're not actually answering my question. Um, and ultimately he didn't. Like, mm-hmm. he, he got away with it because, again, you when you do these interviews, you have to have 15 minutes and, you know, you can press for a little bit and then you're like, I have to move on. Right. Otherwise, this, this interview is just going to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, why would I ask him? I w- I'd like to think that I wouldn't ask him about comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only because the quote-unquote interesting, the comics I'm interested in, put it that way, mm-hmm. are ones that he has no interest in, in, in talking about anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of From Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I have very little interest in his comic output that's happening currently. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a waste of both of our time to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might talk about his movie work. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I beyond that, I don't know. I, I What would I talk about? Presuming this is not an interview where like, we have to talk about X because it's, you know. Right to promote X, uh, I would probably ask him how it feels to be... Because, I mean, Alan Moore is what now? 60? I think I he's... I want to say he's older than that, but... Uh, yeah. 70? Uh, but, but basically starting over. Mm-hmm. Like, moving into a whole new, uh, a whole new medium. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 
why he's 62 apparently um born in 53 yeah why what energizes him to do that and also what makes him nervous about doing it because i think that the like, what was the what was the short that he did like a couple of years ago or last year oh the movie thing yeah yeah um, um i want to say and again this might just be the people i was reading but that was not incredibly well received no i I feel like it wasn't it it was received as much as anything as like oh look at this oddity by the guy who wrote watchmen um and so what but also like that's just going to follow him around for the rest of his life oh yeah like alan moore is going to die and it's going to be the watchmen author Mm -hmm. like that it's just it's what it is um but i I, you know i feel that I'd, i'd be curious to know how humble he is i guess mm-hmm. uh moving into a new medium because i think that he is stagger he has a staggering lack of humility in comics right he has a, he has a ridiculous ego when mm-hmm. it comes to and i'd be really curious if that is just that he has a ridiculous lack of ego or a ridiculous ego or if it is specifically in comics mm-hmm. like is he more humble when it comes to other media is he more humble when it comes to, to movies, especially when people kind of didn't really like his first attempts? Right. You know, the, uh, the, I think that's where I'd go. What about you? If you if you had the chance to talk to Alan Moore, what would you talk to him about? Boy, I feel like there would be a lot of things that I'd want to talk to him about, actually. Uh, but, um, you know, the biggest one that's obsessed me for the longest time is um, – well, I don't know if it was necessarily that long a time because it seemed recently around the time of the uh, the David Foster Wallace shout out. There was uh, an earlier version, I think, when the comic speed was running the um, you know the the sort of summaries of the Q and As that were that had been asked of more on his mailing list or something like that. Uh, I noticed, for me, I, I link more very strongly with Thomas Pynchon, and one of the things that I think I'm most grateful to Moore for is he went through a period where he really was dropping Pynchon's name around a lot in the in the early 80s. You know, he pulls a quote, unsurprisingly, Thomas Pynchon's V, uh, you know, gets name dropped in V for Vendetta, as as does just about anything with a V in it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, but but there's a weird, there's a weird way for me in which V for Vendetta mirrors some of the thematic issues of Pynchon's V that I've always kind of wondered about. And then, weirdly, of all places, in Heroes for Hunger, there's like the two pages that that Alan Moore does. I remember reading this article with Chris Claremont where he was going on and on about how great Moore's two pages were and how much he gets the character of Magneto because he mentions that Gravity's Rainbow is on the bookshelf. And he's like, yeah, that sums up everything that you need to know about Magneto. And I remember being like, that's very weird, Chris Claremont. I wonder what you mean by that, you know? Um, and, and yet, so, so because of those things, I was like, it was like my last semester of college. My schedule was kind of open. I sat down and read V. Maybe it was the next to last semester. And that's one of those like, turning points for me like i there was my life before reading thomas pensions v and honestly my life after that and 
Um, and so it's such a big deal for me. And I feel like it is really kind of dropped off um, Moore's radar, or at least it's no longer on his list of, of um, mandated name drops, I suppose. And so part of me is like, I kind of want to corner him and be like, you know, what's the deal? Like, were you, you know, were you a fan? You dropped off. Is it the sort of thing where you just don't feel comfortable talking about it? You know, did you meet him and he was a prick to you? Like, what happened? You know, and he may not have it. He may have a really the world's most boring answer. It's, It's one of those classic, like fanboy obsessive questions that when you ask a creator, you're all but guaranteed like 99 times out of a thousand. There's the math. 99 times out of a hundred that they're just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Next. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I got over it. Right. Exactly. I got over it. And you're like, no, I wanted like, I want there to be a reason. Yeah. It's not enough that you just change your mind. Right. Right, right, right. Because there is a strange thing, you know, Moore's, you know, magical awakening, uh, there's like gravity's rainbow really straddles this weird, um, it's about rationality and irrationality and irrationality is very much defined by magic. There's a lot of magic and the use of occult systems. In fact, the occult as a system is one of the big underlying engines to, to the gravity's rainbow behemoth, you know, and, Again, I feel I wonder if part of the rejection is is that um, is that Moore has gone on to create a magical system and and gone to the wellspring of various sources uh, of you know using of the idea of taking chaos magic and using it as a as sort of a uh, sort of a rational approach to exploring and manifesting your subconscious or unconscious. Uh, which is very much at ends at odds with the way that Pynchon tends to still talk about it or use it, which is it's almost the opposite. Like it's an expression of the of the unconscious in the world in an inherently um, be a way that's super rational beyond rationality, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like all that stuff that I'd really like to dig into. And sometimes you read these interviews with Moore, and he can be generous. And if it's something that he's interested in, like, and you hit pay dirt, it would be just like, it, it's such a, it's such a, a long shot, like, you know, putting all your chips on like 18 red and letting the roulette wheels spin or whatever. And, and yet if it paid off, it would just be like, the, I just can't help but feel like it would be just this amazing discussion, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really do want to like, I, I really want to like follow that up with something horrible. Like, so did Bill Sengevich like bang your wife or what happened there? You know, it's, you know, some, some, some <laughs> stupid asinine comment. So. <laughs> so you get like an hour of greatness. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just him like throwing so the big numbers. What did happen? Yeah, exactly. Like... Yeah. Excuse me. I believe I have nothing more to say to you. Clunk. Who put you up to this? Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I would be enough of a, of a. Would you do after a Watchman, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, again, I'm trying to keep it away from comics. You know. Oh, that would be great. It was like, okay, this isn't a comics related question. If Warner Brothers came to you and gave you all the money and complete creative control to make a sequel to Zack Snyder's Watchmen, would you do it? <laughs> you know. Oh my God. 
tit for tat. What do you think? So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. So, so I think honestly it would be, it would be something like that. The, the, I'm relatively comfortable that I'm enough of a stammering fanboy that I feel like he would be kind to me because it would sort of stroke that, you know, that part of his ego. Yeah. Yeah. That I was going to say that beard sized ego, but I don't know if that really makes sense depending on. I don't know if Alan Moore ever that mountain here. of hair. Yeah, ex- exactly. that's, a, that's a better description. I think that is true. I think that is indeed true. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that is something that I had to know. Uh, you know, Graham, I have to say some online people, I don't even know who, I think it was just a couple of, uh, loose excerpts had me pick up, uh, Moon Knight number six and, Oh, I'd be super curious. I, uh, this week on, ask, on Twitter, asked people what their favorite Marvel book was. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I didn't. I asked them what the best Marvel book was. By far, the winner was Vision. Right. Uh, second, uh, first runner-up, Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, Hellcat got a lot of shout-outs, which kind of surprised me. I like yeah. Hellcat, but I, like, I'm very surprised to get so many shout-outs. Uh, but Moon Knight got a lot of shout-outs. And honestly, Moon Knight is very off my radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, this latest issue, I think what happened was the fact that it has pages in it from Wilfredo Torres, Francesco Francavilla, and James Stucco, you know? And I was just like, fucking James Stucco, what the fuck is he doing in there? And, um, it's, it's really a brilliant idea from Lemire, who, again, is one of those guys who, Everyone tells me, like, you know, everyone's like, Jeff, this guy is in your wheelhouse. You've got to read him. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It just it never catches. But there's something about his. So Moon Knight issue six, I don't know what happened in the first five issues apart from the summary page. But issue six is a fractured reality issue. And therefore, every time that it seems as if uh, Moon Knight is changing identities, he changes artists. So... When it's Jake Lockley, it is the, you know, it is, um, Francesco Francavia. When it's movie producer Stephen Grant, who is, uh, doing the Moon Knight TV show for Marvel and is kind of like, what the hell was I thinking? And meanwhile is sort of discovering that it's, he essentially may have had a nervous breakdown, um, and then, and then the final sort of too many cooks last, two or three pages where suddenly Mark Spector is like a, is like one of the moon Knights, which is just a, a fucking anime force of like space jets who are fighting the space wolves. You're just like, okay, I'm in. I really, I was really impressed what he had done. It sort of helped for me that you like, I've read a a certain amount of Moon Knight, but I've never been a particular fan of any one era. And I, as you know, I hate read the Bendis Malieve stuff. <laughs> and I kind of like, I don't know what Ellis did with it. I kept marking it to read it because it looked so lovely. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Again, it's Ellis and Shelby and mm-hmm. Valir. Right, exactly. And in fact, I, I assume that they're teaming on that. They were like, you know. We t- let's do a book on our own where we don't have to do this character, you know, but, uh, but I feel like Lemire is definitely like, Oh, I'm going to take this thread from the Bendis stuff, which is very much the idea of like, Oh, he's a Hollywood producer and he's a multiple personality. 
uh, who, you know, who's like kind of right on the edge of being mentally ill and going someplace that's, um, a lot weirder and darker with it. I really liked it. I was like, okay, I've got to look up the back issues on, you know, Marvel Unlimited, which of course for this run, there's probably like only two issues out or something like that. Well, but, didn't you say you just picked up issue six? Yeah. Right. So issue so, one so, should be out. Right. But, uh, no, issue one will be out next month because ah, there's six months behind. Right course uh yeah um i i i really was i was like this is this is pretty impressive and weird and yet weird in a way that sort of makes sense which is funny because that is the sort of opposite of how i felt about the first issue of doom patrol and yet i also enjoyed that as well that i should mention that i picked that up in no small part because of you graham mcmillan and i was like i just love it Mm -hmm. i i I love it. I love it. I love it. And in large part, uh, the more I was rereading this week, I, re- I read a bunch uh, because they are mm-hmm. the, the art undersells the weirdness. Because let's face it, Gerard Way is really ramping up his weirdness with this. Yes, uh, the art undersells enough that my takeaway from this is like I want to hang out with Casey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think that character, I, I think all the characters are, the art on it is gorgeous and just really perfect. It's such a good, fun book that is, that is also, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the great thing is, is that, uh, as much as I appreciate Richard Case for his, I don't know, consistency, like he's, you know, it's, it's not the highest bar to clear, you know, and I really enjoy how much uh, Darrington can manages to his art is um, simple in a way that cases was is you think I think of cases work as simple, but it's much more open and deliberate. You know, it's God bless case. He's I don't know. He's like. He's like a guy who did, you know, a lot of my favorite comics without me actually ever warming to his art much. So <laughs> it's amazing how that happens, you know? Yeah. He he was he was the go to guy for that sort of stuff in the nineties though. Mm-hmm. He did do patrol and then all of a sudden they're like, Why don't you do uh, shade? Why don't you do the final issues of, of Milligan Shade? Wow, really? Yeah. And I can see why. They're like, sure, let's bring him in. He's got he, you know, he's got this rep as like the weirder one and I'm just yeah, I don't, I don't know. Weird. Let's see. Oh my God. The latest issue of unbeatable squirrel girl is amazing. Graham. It's amazing. I take it. You haven't read it yet. Cause uh, you're waiting I for the... have thoughts. Cause yeah, I, I will be Marvel and limiting it. Cause I probably won't. I've actually been buying a lot of them. Comicsology. Is this the, the mole man issue? No, the mole man issues are over. This is the issue in which, uh, it's squirrel girl versus nightmare. And it it is it is so good. It is so good. Sort of the same way that you know how North took his kind of uh, go to choose your own adventure format and did that just awesome issue of Squirrel Girl. Uh, Here he turns to computer language, computer programming basics, uh, and integrates it into the fight with Nightmare in a way that is both ridiculous and very satisfying squirrel girl spoilers squirrel girl gets into accounting competition with count nefaria and it's it's like the best thing it really is it's just one of the it's funny and satisfying and 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 just great 
I'm I am not surprised at mm-hmm. all. Right. Uh, I because it's just it's just such a good series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, did you read the uh, the first North issue of um, Jughead? No, I didn't realize that was out. Shit. Uh, if it's, I want to say it was out this week. Again, this is one of those things where, like, I get sent a comp, and I'm like, so that's out, right? But I want to say it actually came out this week. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jughead issue nine. Are you out? I think it's, yeah, it definitely is, because I'm seeing everyone review it. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I felt, I, I, for whatever, I love the first three issues, which I bought in, um, individual issues then i sort of stopped tracking it then i bought a bunch of them on the 99 cent sale and i think think i maybe made it up to issue four that way but starting from the beginning again and so yeah so i'm very behind uh it's uh it's it's everything you would want mm-hmm. uh jughead who uh i think has been fairly on panel uh revealed to be asexual Mm-hmm. In the, the, the Dzarsky run, uh, falls in love with the new mascot for Pops, who is literally a girl in a burger outfit, but he can't see her. So basically, he's a burger with arms and legs. <laughs> so he falls in love with her, and the the punchline is that they agree. Finally, he finally agrees to go on a date with her, mm-hmm. and she shows up at the end, and she's not in the outfit, and he's just like, "What? What? <laughs> what? What the fuck? What's going on?" Because he's fancy, like you see him fantasizing about her, and she's always in the burger outfit. Yeah, um, but it's Sabrina in a switch. Mm. That's and really so funny. it's it's basically like Ned's issue: a witch versus Jughead. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. I yeah, that's um, that is the sort of that's the sort of stuff I would expect from North. And I, I really enjoyed Zdarsky's stuff. It was just funny. It's just one of those things that I didn't keep up with. So that's, uh, yeah, it's the Zdarsky thing. I think was really, really strong. Mm-hmm. I'd be one of the other books I, I caught up with this week, uh, was Zdarsky's Howard the Duck, mm-hmm. which, which doesn't work for me. Mm. Like just, just does not to the point where, like, cause I think Zdarsky's very funny. Like, I, I think his interviews are funny. I think his columns were funny when he was writing for the, whatever, the paper he was writing for, the Toronto something. Yeah. Completely faking it and not remembering. Right. Um, I, I think... Well, wasn't it like the Globe and Mail? No, that's Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I think okay. it was. Yeah, okay. I think it was the Globe and Mail. I think you're right. right. Um, but, like, I, I, you know, his interviews are funny. Uh, and Howard the Duck, for me, just isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really know why, hmm. but like, it's surprising to me that I like Chuck, his Jughead so much mm-hmm. when his Howard the Duck just does not work for me. Yeah, I see that. I just, I, you know, honestly, cause I try, I think I bought the, I literally did buy the first issue, maybe two issues of it for whatever reason. I think cause I wanted to give Zdarsky, I similarly think that he's quite funny and I think that's just a hard one. I I do think that Howard is kind of that classic poison chalice, you know? I just don't think, unless you're Steve Gerber, you shouldn't do it. Like, it just doesn't work for me in a way. It would be... And and Zdarsky is far more clever than most. And in fact, I think at one point had said that, you know, he happily plays up the the idea that his Howard is the clone of the original, you know, in part because it gives him more freedom. But, you know, it... It's funny, I, uh, I had mentioned on the podcast that I had, um, 
really by playing Marvel Future Fight, when they introduced Gwenpool as a playable character, I'm like, I really like this character in this video game. This is really weird, but I'm going to, I want to check out the book and, um, you know, use the opportunity of the Marvel BOGO to buy, I think the, oh, and had read the one, the only thing that was on Unlimited at the time, which was the Gwenpool holiday special, which had a very slender amount of Gwenpool actually in it. Uh, I, I like that book, but the zero issue is essentially the backup strips that were running in Howard the Duck. So Howard is a backup character in the Gwenpool mm-hmm. stories. And it's weird, even though it's not Zdarsky writing it, it's, uh, I assume it's Christopher Sabella who's doing the, the, is doing No, the it's, it's Chris Hastings. Oh, is it? You're, you're, you're getting your Chris's mixed up. Oh, okay. Is it, is it Hastings on, on all of the issues then? I think so. Okay, let me check because that is that would make some. I'm fairly sense. sure Chris Hastings was the one who's doing the backups at least. Uh, let me look. Yeah, Hastings, that's correct. And I would imagine they're if they're doing that, he's doing the regular book. And so I shows you what an incredibly like not aware uh, person I am. Yeah, Hastings, Chris Christopher Hastings does a thank you for correcting me. Um, you yeah, there's lots of Chris's in comics. Come there, on, uh, it, there's kind of a big run on him. Like right now, it's like if there if your name is Chris or your name is Ryan, you can you can work in comics, you know. It's like and people will not be able to keep you straight. Uh, I, which is maybe how you got the gig. So uh, yeah, the the Howard in that book, I was even in Gwenpool, and I like I actually really do like Gwenpool the book. I don't, it's no score girl, you know, but the parts of it that I like, I really like. And of course the art by Guri Huru is gorgeous. I think they're the consistent team, but they're, they use, I forget the name of the guy doing the, the backup scripts. Um, I just, what was I going to say? Right. That Howard character, even as a second banana in the Gwenpool stuff, I was immediately like, okay, this isn't the real Howard the duck. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's his, his cousin Schmoward or I don't know. It just, uh, it's, it's weird that that's not a, a thing, you know, how strange is that in a way, you know, I'm, or rather it's not strange for me in my insanely stammery way. I should say, do you feel that that's part of your resistance, Graham, or is it more, just more of a very basic, like it's to be honest, it's more of a very basic, it's more of a, like this book just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. This book just feels, um, it just feels incredibly unfocused and not as funny as it needs to be in order to get away without lack of focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work mm-hmm. uh, for me. I, I, I totally see where you're coming from mm-hmm. in terms of the like Gerber or or get the fuck off, <laughs> but. It's, I don't, I, I don't feel like I have enough of an emotional connection to the character for that. Well, you know what it is for me? I think that's, I, right, I don't have that. I think what it is is like, you have, so there's Gerber's take on the character for whatever reason, which is very tied into what I feel is sort of Gerber's ongoing sets of um, thematic obsessions. Um, and... Once you get away from that, you kind of have Howard the Duck as kind of a visual punchline, which is kind of the way that he gets played up in, in the, say, the Bill Mantlow issues, where, where, mm-hmm. um, 
Mantlo follows up Gerber's run and, and very much is like, okay, time for the duck related puns and fitting Howard into as many duck type suits, uh, Marvel's duck versions. Exactly. Of yeah, it's it's iron duck. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then beyond that, or duck tour stranger, then beyond that, there's this, uh, once you take that away, every person that I've seen who's tried to tackle it. And when I say I've sort of half-heartedly looked at say when Ty Templeton gave it a go, uh, and, and Sadarsky, there's no, there's no real solid hook there. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no real, there's nothing to the character other than, Oh, he's a duck. Um, and, and I think even Zdarsky is sort of like, Oh, and he's sort of the most rational one in, in, his in the world, which is sort of right, but also kind of wrong. There's just nothing. There's just the, the character is hookless. I feel, you know, and in some ways, part of me is like, Oh, well that's a relief as opposed to trying to revisit Gerber's themes or even trying to revise them. I suppose. I feel that, um, not that Zdarsky did this, but I feel that definitely Zdarsky series was promoted as being a return to the social commentary of Gerber's run. And I don't think Zdarsky went anywhere close to that. I, I would be more interested in that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I agree. I, part of me is, I think there's just a weird, you would have to find someone who has a, a strong take on, oh God, what is it? I wish I knew what it was. Like there's sort of a, um, we're, I feel like we're, and this may be, like, apart from areas of rampant racism aside, I feel like people are more on the same page in terms of their comedy or something. Oh, no, there's just something where, for one thing, I think the, the problem where, with Gerber's Howard, where the idea is that this is a character who, the trapped in a world that he's never made is you know, is also this extension for essentially Gerber's idea that, you know, his, his continuing obsession with having the little guy who's up against the absurdity, like all other systems are large and individual are out to destroy the individual, usually in order to sell them product, you know, um, that's that's just that I don't think that Marvel can pull that book off with a straight face or like you can't you can't read it from Marvel or at least I can't, you know, and but there's no other way. You can't really have a Howard the Duck where it's suddenly like consumerism is good or corporations are great. I mean, you know, most Hollywood movies don't necessarily are, are really great at being duplicitous in this way, you know, in terms of being like, oh, yeah, it's all about the little guy and the individual and, you know, fuck, fuck corporations, say the guys who went to the Ivy League schools whose parents were like, you know, executives and sent them to Harvard and then they ended up working for like companies that are subdivisions of like, Viacom and Paramount who are themselves owned by bigger corporations, all of which is designed to drag the maximum number of people into one room so that you can teach them about the joys of individuality. You know, like 
Hollywood has learned the act of playing that card with a straight face. Like, I don't even think it's aware that that is um, the conflict of interest or, or rather they're so aware of it, but have been practicing covering their tracks for so long. Everyone knows how to do it, I guess, you know, and, yeah. and I don't feel like that is the case with Marvel. I think it's really hard for people uh, unless they're kind of deluded, you know, to kind of write for Marvel and be like, yeah, I'm sticking it to the man 2016. Like you're very aware that you're working for the man. But what's really interesting is I could, I could actually totally see Marvel trying to do it, trying to publish with a straight face of sticking it to the man. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I, it's, I I saw people making fun of this on Twitter the other week and it's totally true. Like, Marvel's obsession with doing Run the Jewels parodies or tie-ins mm-hmm. is is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I kind of want to be like, I, I feel like you're not just co-opting someone else's culture, but like horrifically misunderstanding it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that Marvel sees itself as like this, this counterculture uh, entity still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, because I think there's a weird level in which, in which that makes sense, and and God help me, this is where I make a statement that is so profoundly ignorant that people will probably roast me in the comments. But there is a strong element in hip hop that is about. Tr- about essentially embracing the standards and triumphing. You know what I mean? Like there's a like the tie between hip hop and superhero characters in which hip hop heroes are like hip hop rappers are like, yeah, I you know, I was an outcast, Spider Man was an outcast. The Marvel characters were cool. I wanted but they were outsiders, but they they beat the game at their own odds. There's a there's a lot about um you know, there's a strong streak in hip hop and, and that that mirrors all of modern culture that is about um, succeeding. Like you succeed as an individual and you rise to the top of the industry and then you're celebrated for it. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, the idea is that you make the system love you, you know? And, and I think Marvel has that same way where they talk about themselves as they can talk about themselves as outsiders and champions simultaneously. And the goal is always about being embraced by the world at large. You know, there's not when you get, I mean, thank God hip hop, like any, anything else is not homogenous. There are lots of hip hop acts that have no interest in, I mean, they wouldn't mind mainstream success, uh, but they don't really, they can see the the trap of conventional values that I would say it still drives me crazy that I think that someone like Jay-Z, for example, is all about, you know, like you win the game when you a have the most money and B you are like the most successful rapper slash executive slash, you know, like that idea of like, I aspire to become a CEO kind of mentality that is very much about, you know, okay, if I win this game, like you will treat me with the respect that I deserve. And my problem is, is I feel that reinforces the idea of the game as a good thing to play and win at. 
And and I wonder if maybe there is a way in which Marvel is a little bit closer to some some end of that end of hip hop in that it can simultaneously talk about how it's the uh, an outcast, talk about how it's the greatest, and talk about how it's an outlaw, even while they're you know like the majority of their movies, the characters are all funded by the military or underwritten by the military. You know, like there's just weird. There's just a there's just that weird conglomeration of what should be clashing values that I'm sure people out, outside the United States are like, oh yeah, that's distinctly American. That completely schizophrenic approach to you know embracing two absolutely ideologically opposite values at the same time. Like, I don't know. I agree. <laughs> Uh, no, I, for the most part, I do agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I find, no, you're right. I, 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 I just continually get stuck on uh, Marvel's shameless appropriation of cultures. Uh, but I think you're right. I think it does actually feel that it is somehow justified mm-hmm. in doing it when it does it. Mm-hmm. I think that they feel that they do represent the cultures that they are, let's be honest, completely stealing. Well, yes, they. I think so. I, you know, yeah, I, that they are completely stealing. I don't know. It's just that weird. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something weirder there that I, I want to say goes just a, a bit more below the level of. It's not as simple as stealing, but it might be even more insidious than that. I suppose. You know, and I don't know. I don't know if I. I probably won't get it at it in the course of this conversation. So let me do mention a few other books that I read that I liked. Uh, I like the fix number five. Uh, I, I'm, I'm loving the fix. I, I, yeah. I, I should be surprised at how much I love it because I liked Superior Foes of Spider Man, mm-hmm. but I didn't like. I didn't go plot over it the same way other people did, and and, and yet the fix I'm I'm adoring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I am quite liking that book, and it's still um, surprising because I'm like, hmm, yeah, I didn't, I really didn't think that I liked Nick Spencer. So, uh, Paper Girls number nine, um, which uh, I think, I don't know. It's funny because I'm really having that thing of like, oh, everything's kind of coming into focus. And I think I appreciate that, even as I find myself doing kind of a big, like, oh, is that all there is kind of feel to it. Um, but that being said, I think I've, I'm two or three issues behind on Saga, and I honestly have no idea how I'm ever going to catch up at this point, which sounds crazy. I, I am, no, I'm actually the same. Really? I, I am a few months behind on Saga. Okay. And part of me is like, I could just stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I kind of have that weird, like, yeah, maybe I can, maybe I can get off of this. Which, who knows? Maybe that's a sign that I should jump to trades or something like that, and that would might do yeah. for me. Which, which is pretty much where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, the that or literally just stopping. Yeah, literally yeah. just like maybe I'm done with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, if I'm if I'm not like, because I don't feel any great need to jump back on either. Right. Yeah, I kind of see that too. I mean, I think that there's the the book for the first couple of arcs, like you know, did a pretty good job of dragging me along in its in its urgency, I suppose. But 
there was a point and it's, you know, of course, right around the time where it's like threatening to break up the marriage and you're like, oh, holy shit, this is kind of going to go off the rails or is it or can he basically kind of like, can he take this, pull the, that one Jenga block out of his storyline and not have everything collapse? Uh, and I, I don't know. I just, you know, part of it is I kind of feel like Saga, when I first started reading it, I'm like, oh, this this is a book that has a long game to it. And I think I stopped believing that at yeah, some point. That's that's really pretty much where I am as well. Mm. The I don't think there's an end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I even, even if I do think that there's a, there is an end, like he's like, oh yeah, no, I've got those last four or five pages planned out. I just don't think there's, for me, there's quite enough seeds sown that make me feel like, oh yeah, this is going to, um, getting fun. Right, exactly. I, I suppose that's it. It's it's kind of that deal of like I don't really feel like there's enough. I, I, there's not a there's not, there's I, I find myself I'm at the stage now where there's nothing for me to look forward to. Like I sort of enjoy the moment of it when I'm in it, but I don't. There's not enough there, narrative stakes wise or something that I'm somehow invested in enough. You know what I mean? Like that idea yeah, of no, like I, I totally get you. When there's, when you know that there's a story down the line, the story down the line that's coming, that you can kind of sense that, you know, I don't know. It's very strange. So yeah, interesting, Graham. I was, I was sure that my, my confession was going to be met with derision. No, no, your confession is met with me there as well, Jeff. Wow. 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 Uh, I think as, as people know, if they've been checking out our Tumblr, um, I've been reading a lot of old Chris Claremont, Miss Marvels. Um, yes, you have. Oh my God. And it is, wow, that is interesting. Cause it's, um, you know, I'm like, I, I, it, uh, <laughs> cause I'm, cause it's really very subpar Chris Claremont work. It's really interesting to me. I'm on issue 19 now of Ms. Marvel. Chris Claremont has written this book continuously since issue three and it just does not have its shit together. Like Claremont is, you know, there's a few points where you have him talking about how important Miss Marvel was to him or how important it was that he stay on the book and blah, blah, blah. And how he took it just as seriously as the rest of his other assignments. And I'm like, it doesn't read like that. Really? Yeah, it does not read like it. That is, that's at the most generous version is, is that's Claremont at his most sort of ADD esque. And he just can't sort of sit still long enough to focus on a subplot or even a thematic nuance. But so it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It's really, it's, it's fascinating reading a, a book that does not cohere. The other thing that I have to say is that Kelly Sue DeConnick writes an introduction to volume two of the, of the masterworks that is a, um, is amazing because it is such a, um, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a flashy, Hey, look at me essay that somehow manages to work. 
And I, I really was. I was like, oh, I'm really impressed. I did not think she was going to pull this essay off. And she kind of did. She had something to say about the character she, while talking about herself. Um, but even in the act of her saying that stuff and then me reading the Ms. Marvel issues that followed, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, she's kind of bullshitting me, too. huh? OK, well, that's fine. You know, it's just it's that it's that it's that weird like she did a really great job of talking about how she tackled cap you know Ms Marvel and Carol Danvers and what she wanted the character her character arc for Carol Danvers to be and how it ended up being something different and how she looked back at the issues and realized what was going on and blah 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 and it was like oh yeah this is great and then you read the stuff that and I'm just like man I feel sorry that this woman had to sit here and read all these comics and try and come up figure out a way to pitch this character you know cuz it's like <laughs> What I love is one of the issues that you uh, did a screenshot for for the Tumblr mm-hmm. was uh, Ms. Marvel versus the Vision about and the Super Truck. Yes, I read that it reprinted in a Marvel Superheroes Annual oh, in the UK. I, I believe it, which uh, almost certainly is the first Chris Claremont comic I ever read, mm-hmm. but clearly left such a strong impact on me that A, I did not remember reading it at all until I saw that fucking panel. And I was like, I've read that comic. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Because it is, you know, I I really, there's a couple of weird one-off issues in Marvel, of Marvel Comics that I really do love. And that one, like, it was like, oh, there's this super truck. And the idea that Miss Marvel has to stop a super truck because she's convinced that something horrible is going to happen. And meanwhile, she can't explain to vision who's trying to stop her. There's just, and meanwhile, everyone's keep can't just stop saying the word super truck as if that alone is, you know, enough to make it a good story. And they're right. You know, like it's, <laughs> Oh, by the way, was it the, was it the ep- recording that we lost where I was whispering to you and you told me that when I whisper, I sound like your personal trainer. That was in fact the recording that we lost. Yeah. Okay. So, so listeners, you should know that because I'm, I've got to figure out when to break it out with Graham. Cause I was doing it last time when I was telling him something that I didn't want to confess to him, which apparently and is what, when his personal trainer does too. That's why that's reminds me because the personal trainer does also, uh, like to whisper things that she thinks that I'm going to react badly to. I like that two people have individually come up with that. It's kind of amazing. It really is kind of amazing. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. I think, well, cause you know, cause I, cause, cause you're a sensitive guy, Graham. I don't want to shout down your feelings. I, I, I don't even want to be that person who's like, no, you're wrong. Like, I don't you like just that. Great but, to be an email afterwards. Yeah, but you know, in a loving way. Oh my I God. Say, I, I say that, but also like, you haven't actually braided me. That was just a joke before yeah. anyone said seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. things like Jeff and I have this weird abusive relationship off the air. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because there are the number of times where we joke about like, oh, I hate you. I hate you too. You know, kind of thing is like, you know, to make it sound like we've got that sort of weird Martin and Lewis relationship where as soon as we get off the air, it's like, okay, so record that, you son of a bitch. Like, mix that and put it up. It's like, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Goodbye. Clicking. So you're actually going to call me on time, right? Or will you have a Skype update? Oh, drop dead. Yeah. <laughs> What is funny about that, everyone, is that Jeff almost always has a Skype update. I always do. And you know what? 
the thing that kills me is I updated early this time and then I fucked it up and we didn't, it didn't record because goddamn Skype. I should just never record. I should never update that fucking thing again is what I should do. Totally got obsessed with like, oh, we've updated Skype. That's why we're going to turn off your recording now. Enjoy. Like, fuck you, Skype. Fuck you, Skype. Yes. The voice of a, an angry generation. Uh, Cram, I feel yes, like probably everyone. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, there's other stuff I want to talk about. I I don't know, like, but I I feel like I would talk about it either more ambivalently or some of it's up on the Tumblr. I totally loved reading the insane issues, uh, the Prisoners of Three Worlds issue of Batman from 1963, issue 153. That's being sold as part of the Batman Day sale at Comixology. I bought that last night, read it, and screenshot the shit out of it because it was it was it was insane. I assume that it, it the reason why it's available is is that it probably got reprinted in that Grant Morrison, you know, that Batman's yeah. black case file or black book file yeah. or whatever. But um holy shit. That's astonishing. In fact, Robin Dies at Dawn, which is the issue that was such a strong underpinning for Morrison and Batman R.I.P. Um, uh, and inspired a, a sequel in the Grayson series. Oh, yeah. Did it? Yeah. There's there's a, a, a Robin Dies at Dawn issue in the Grayson series. Oh, yeah. Right. I do remember that. Well, I just, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and it's weird because Robin dies at dawn, the original story. I mean, apart from the fact that Morrison took all this stuff in there and really ran with it. It's really interesting seeing a Batman who's just flipping the fuck out, like completely hallucinating and, and kind of losing his marbles because of this experiment. But the other issue, which involves him like literally splitting in two and he and Batman's like fiery energy form on another planet and it's 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 crazy fucked up shit and just amazing also i have to say because this is something i couldn't say on the tumblr uh when you see batman from 1963 surrounded by the kathy kane bat woman and whoever the hell is the name of bat girl there and uh kate Kate something right it's not that's what's so confusing. Kate bishop that's totally okay yeah right. um no is it not kathy Kane? well see that's it i'm like uh, give me a second i they talk about it on like page fucking two uh kathy Kane. no kathy is, Kane is batwoman and betty Kane is batgirl yeah okay. no i said kathy Kane was batwoman i just yeah. couldn't remember I I, I I i got confused yeah no so no worries uh is when they're in their outfits and Robin's there and it's Batman, you're like, holy shit. It's like Batman and the condiment family because it's like fucking ketchup and mustard. That's all you see when they're standing right by him. It's really weird. Like they're like, oh, here's Batwoman. Okay, she's a bat. What colors does she wear? Red and yellow. How about Batgirl? Yellow and red. Perfect. Let's get them together with Robin who's got a slight dash of green and you know which character does clearly does not belong with the others it's clearly batman batman uh 
should change his outfit so he also looks like a bottle of ketchup and a bottle of mustard and they should all fight like relish related crimes it's really uh it's really odd very odd costuming decision back then i i very much uh, want you to somehow get control of the bat franchise so that you can tell the story <laughs> i would love to let me tell you the idea of actually cuz if bat if if dc would let me do a giant size condiment family special and I could do like a different condiment family story like the one in the 70s and the first one is totally an insane Bob Haney story and then the second one's like a reprint story from like the 40s and then the other one's like oh man I would be so happy I want to see Danny O'Neill's condiment family story oh man that uh, like so many of Denny O'Neill's stories, such a crashing bore that would be. Oh my god! <laughs> I, it's fascinating to me that Denny O'Neill is such a, uh, um, like I would say, arguably one of the greatest comic editors of the '90s. I would think, you know, and yet I I think that he is such a um, mediocre comics writer. I guess even the '80s and the '90s, if you think of him as the guy I, who I fostered. O'Neill was probably more of a uh, a, a major comic editor in the eighties. Well, okay, so here's the thing. On the one hand, I agree because if you look at the t- of the talent that he fought, well, the talent that he fostered in the eighties and the books that he edited, because he didn't he had, he had he was Larry Hama's editor on GI Joe as well as Frank Miller's editor on Daredevil. Yeah, and um, then he went over to uh, Batman Year One. Uh, over at DC. Well, yeah, but because he had because he had Miller, you know what I yeah, mean. Like yeah. he dragged him there. But to me, the thing that really impresses me, and I could be wrong, is is that you know in the nineties, he's editing the Batman titles, and not only do you get the the you know you still continue to get kind of a proliferation of characters during that era, but you get women writers in writing Batman, you get, um, you know, people of color writing the Batman titles, you know, it just strikes me as, um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe there's some actual historical thing that has where I've got it completely backwards, but at least on the face of it, it seems like the most progressive consistently in terms of its, um, hiring and writing policies like Devin Grayson comes up under that, you know, and not only that, but I think isn't characters like Renee Montoya introduced while O'Neill's there. And, you know, again, at least some sort of idea of like yeah. people of color should be existing in the Sure. But Renee, book. did Renee Montoya not come from the, the cartoon? That's a is really she not, question. Is she not like uh, Harley Quinn? Did she not get her start in the cartoon? I don't, no, I don't know. We'd have to look that up. I, I got I the feeling that right now, yeah, okay. yes, she was initially created for Batman the animated series. Oh, okay, all right. But like uh, Lucius Fox isn't enough. Fox in the comics and then moves over into the animated series. Lucius Fox, yeah. Oh yeah, he he's in the comics from the seventies. Oh, is he? Oh, right. Lucius Fox came from nineteen seventy nine. Shit. Okay. Right. 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 Okay. I remember Lucius being there when I was a kid. Uh, I don't. <laughs> Shows you what I know. Anyway, so yes. Okay, well, I stand corrected twice then. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Denny O'Neill, what a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we ended on the right note there. <laughs> okay. We circled around for a while, but I think we definitely landed on the right I think. I think uh, so, yeah. 
I think uh, we're going to wrap it up at this yes. point. Yes, listeners, I know it sounds really like a short episode, but um, but it's but not. We also talked for uh, this long before we realized that we weren't recording. Oh, Jesus. So yeah. we have been talking for two and a half hours. Yeah. Sadly, you guys didn't hear it. One thing that I didn't say on the earlier recording and also didn't say until now is I went to Words and Pictures, which is a new well, – I say new. They've been on for six months. Uh, Portland Comic Store mm-hmm. here in town. Uh, and it's a great store. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot of fun. I was there because Al Ewing did a signing there on Tuesday. One of the things that they have there is they have, it's not a dollar bin. It's like a $3 bin. It's a drawer filled with comics that have been, each of which is $3, mm-hmm. uh, that have been selected by Douglas Wolk as interesting comics. It's the greatest thing, Jeff. So I got from this drawer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Heroes and Legends, a 1996 comic written by Fabian Nishitsa and Stan Lee, drawn by Sal Buscema, John Buscema, John Ramita Sr., Steve Ditko, Gene Colan, Maurice Everin, and Ron Friends. Good Christ. Which is a retelling of Fantastic Four Annual 3. Wow. Okay? Uh-huh. The Legion of Substitute Heroes special from 1985. Mm-hmm. The Legion of Superheroes Annual from uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane issue 115 from 1974? 1971. Which, because uh, th- I should also say that each of these comics has a post note written by Douglas on the cover telling you why you should buy it. Wow. The note is this for the Superman's Girlfriend issue in which Robert Kaniger tries to riff on Kirby's Fourth World, guest starring the Black Racer. It is every bit as bad as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. to say, wonderful. And the final comic I got, Superman and Batman, Heroes Against Hunger, from 1986. Wow. It's the greatest thing. Anyone in Portland, you have to go. Also, I, everything else in that drawer, there's some great comics in there. Mm-hmm. Just mind-bending comics that are just so good and and should be bought. Anyone in Portland, go to Words and Pictures. It's a great store in general. But go to Douglas's drawer when you get there. There are some beautiful comics there for you. Wow! And that's also uh, a reader was asking me. Oh shit! I forgot to ask this when I was at Comics Experience today. Crap! Uh, a listener was asking me if uh, if Comics Experience c- covers um, carries. Uh, Jay and Miles' zine, which apparently uh, Words and Pictures does do as well. So. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, and I, I could be wrong. I think that may be the only store in town that, that covers that, that carries it. Yeah, that's why I was like, I, I need to double check with the comics experience people. But I'm like, uh, yeah, Graham, I may have you go buy that zine and mail it to me so I can get it to this person. I'm, sure. Uh, okay. Okay. Which, which, which zine? The, um, the actual Jane Miles one or the hilarious, uh, Jay's, uh, headcanons zine? Which is the greatest thing. Really? Wow. I don't know. It's Probably. Literally, yeah. um, each page is a picture of a character from the X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, and some entirely irrelevant beliefs that they have. <laughs> in, in, in no way related to any of the X-Men stories. Wow. Or a- anything that they could ever possibly, uh, will ever be referenced, but is hilarious. Huh. I laughed like a drain after I saw it. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, I will have to check into that and get back to you, but well, good to know. Good to know. Um, Graham McMillan. I should start uh, talking this out, shouldn't I? You should. I, I did say that was going to happen. Yeah. What nots? Sorry for the shortened episode. Blame technology. And Jeff. No, but really technology. Come on. We, we have discussed before we started recording uh, what went wrong, and it's not your fault. Yeah, so let's God. blame technology. All right. Nonetheless, we're going to be back next next week with the Baxter Building. Yeah. Holy shit. Which means, Jeff, you and I have a lot of fantastic floor plans. Holy crap, yeah. <laughs> uh, because we're going all the way up to issue 200, everyone. Oof. A lot of comics. It's like, what, 184 through 200? Yeah. So that's everyone. Um, anyway, we're going to be back next week doing that. Uh, then the regular Wait What will return in that's two right. weeks. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, you should go to waitwhatpodcast.com where you'll find show notes for this episode for every episode of this and Baxter Building. And we mentioned this in the non-recorded bit earlier, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, Matt Terrell did a great post on digital comics and where digital is at these days that is a must read anyone who was interested and or angered by what jeff and i had to say about the state of digital in our last q a episode should really read matt's post it's 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 a blinder it's really good mm-hmm. um but there's also the tumblr wait what pods.tumblr.com featuring random images selected by me and some great shit from jeff <laughs> uh, Jeff's doing reviews there secretly not yeah. telling anyone but he's doing reviews and it's great people waitwhatpod.tumblr.com uh, we're on twitter at waitwhatpodcast Jeff's on twitter at lazybastid at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d I'm on twitter at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m Matt is on twitter at matt underscore terrell m-a-t-t underscore t-e-r-l we're also on Patreon. We are a Patreon-supported podcast. Baxter Building exists purely because of your lovely, generous Patreon contributions. But because I said Patreon, Jeff has magically appeared with something to say. I have, Graham. Thank you for conjuring me. Uh, until you manage to uh, say, make me say Patreon backwards and I disappear to my own dimension for another 90 days, I'm here to cause havoc and thank the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for their ongoing support and non-galaxy crushingness. Uh, thank you so much. That's, that's both. We should also point out that the folks at Ninth Art Studios also have not destroyed the galaxy. That is true, as far as we know. Well, uh, I'm still here. Are you, Graham? Are any of us, Jeff? Exactly. That's exactly my point. Well made. Fair play. <laughs> um, we are sorry that it's a, a shorter episode normal, but honestly, I would say you didn't miss much. You missed a bunch, but we told you what you missed, so it's fine. Yeah, imagine, we did a good summary. Yeah, imagine you just heard the first hour of this on Fast Forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except you don't have to put up with our little squirrel voices, cartoon squirrel voices, although that is my preferred way to hear us talk now. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll be back next week for a back to everyone. Bye!